I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Good afternoon. How are you? You doing all right? You having uh, you having a good Monday? Or are you having kind of a Monday Monday? Don't even ask me. Don't even ask. I'm not going to even. We're not even going to go. That would be the whole. If I had to explain to you everything that's going on with me, it'd be the whole show, and it wouldn't be a very good one. So, I got to tell you, if you ask most people these days, whether they're uh, Republicans, whether they're Democrats, whether they're Independents, whether they don't really care much about politics, if you ask most people these days. Who, whose party is the Republican Party? I think, right, almost everybody would say, well, it's Donald Trump's party right now. The Republican Party is Donald Trump's party. And I get that. I, I understand that answer. It's a good answer. You know who, you know what might even be a better answer? I, I, I watched this thing that they did in Iowa, the Family Leadership Summit, I think this is Tucker Carlson's party. Like, we're going to play some of this, and I, I want you to think about the fact that right now, Tucker Carlson might be the like the mainstream of where Republican voters are. I'm not talking about the people you see on the tube. I'm not talking about the the leaders. I'm talking about like people that are Republicans. I think Tucker Carlson, maybe even more than Donald Trump, it's close, has his finger on the pulse so they did this thing blaze media which is glenn beck's outfit did this thing and i, I frankly was not sure how this would go it was like a uh a, a cattle call for the republican candidates remember this is one of the things trump said he would not go to he didn't go to this and he didn't go to joni Ernst's thing either in iowa uh so he wasn't there chris christie didn't go to it um but most of the other republicans went i saw several of them i don't know if i saw all of them and it was basically a stage with an audience and two chairs and Tucker Carlson sitting there in one chair and the candidates taking their turns with Tucker Carlson. And of what I saw, I think three of them did really well, and I think three of them did horribly. I mean, I'm going I'm to tell you right now, there, there are three people whose campaigns ended in this event. It's over. The one that's getting the most play today is Tucker Carlson with Mike Pence. Because what happened with these interviews is what used to happen on Tucker Carlson's television show. He would ask questions that were a little harder than these politicians are used to. Have you ever noticed when you're watching, you know, Meet the Press, Face the Nation, most cable shows... The, the the questions are easy because the guests and the hosts are always so simpatico. You almost never see um, confrontational interviews. And then if they're confrontational, they're so confrontational that they ask questions like, when did you stop beating your dog? And it's it's insane. So what always made Tucker Carlson different was, even if you were a conservative or a Republican, and we know that he's a conservative and he's a Republican, he would still make you work, right? And he, would ma- he made these people on the stage in Iowa work. And as a result of the work, we get to see what kind of shape these candidates are really in. So Mike Pence, who is certainly a solid guy, I mean, nobody thinks Mike Pence is a bad person. Mike Pence destroyed himself in this conversation with Tucker Carlson. It was it was a very easy question. It was about Ukraine. 
And Pence has been there twice, and he fancies himself the foreign policy candidate in this race. Listen to this, cut number one. January, we'll let somebody transfer some jets. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra- you. You are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. Right. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet, your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. It's Tucker, not I've my heard concern. that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I've heard your routine before. That's not my concern. I, I, don't talk to me about the misery of American cities. I know your act, Tucker. I, I, I swear to God, I can't believe a guy that's been in politics as long as Mike Pence would answer the question that badly. That That is a horrible question. Uh, answer. Horrible answer. Horrible answer. None of them really handled Ukraine well. Um, and it's pretty clear that our political class does not know how to explain why this is so much more important to them than it is to most people. Here's another thing. I mean, Mike Pence is a is a evangelical Christian. I, I I I think he takes a backseat to no one in his faith, but he totally blows the question about religious liberty in Ukraine. Um, that's cut number seven. Listen to this. I can't let you elide over the question of the treatment of Christians. And I, I know. I, I heard and that would again. You be, well, no, but hold on. Would I'm you be willing? The problem is willing? you don't accept my answer. I just told you that I asked the religious leader in Kiev if it was happening. You asked me if I raised the issue, and I did. And I'm saying I also raised it with incorrect. the Ukrainians, and I was told that there are, there are religious leaders who have been working with the Russian military that is murdering people by the thousands. Okay. I mean, tr- Tucker, look. Uh, Wait, but hold on. Don't you think? Let me explain to you what I think our national interest is there. I would think you would have greater concern for religious liberty in Ukraine, and I'm surprised. I, I by told your you answer. I raised the issue of religious liberty. No, you spoke to one person who's clearly I didn't on say one I spoke side to one of it, person. and there are many, many news reports that are not disputed by anybody that right. many clergy have been arrested in Ukraine. And I'm merely saying I may not agree with their views. I'm not Russian Orthodox, but you can't arrest clergy for having different views, period. Because if you do, you violate the basic tenet of... Look, I, I won't look. I want to be clear with you. I won't stand by it. I won't stand for it. The look on Pence's face, he the knows it's over. Persecuted. He knows it's over. If you can't handle, if you can't handle a, a sit-down with Tucker Carlson in front of a nice group of Iowans, you, you, you're going nowhere. Uh, it, was hard, it was hard to watch. Um, Pence, Pence did, not, did not do well uh, at all. Uh, here, here's another one. Now, this is not a guy I have much use for. Do you remember? You remember Asa Hutchison when he was the one of the impeachment managers for Clinton? He was in the he was in the House. He was pretty sharp. I liked I liked Asa Hutchison back then. He was a congressman from Arkansas, and then he became the governor of Arkansas. And then when he was the governor of Arkansas, he he got all sideways over one of those um, bills to prohibit the mutilation of children and sex. Um, what do you call it? Uh, puberty blocking drugs and. He's been trying to thread the needle and say that vetoing the bill was really the conservative thing to do, 
which Tucker Carlson is not having any of. Here's cut number nine. Listen to this. But how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl. He hasn't gone through puberty yet. He's say 10. Is it treatment to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to... Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that... Well, this is can... one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would oh. every person in this room would agree that uh, it is a, a Hold on, hold on. Issue. So I'll tell you right now, when you're interviewing somebody and they don't like the question... Uh, a very common tactic is to say, well, I, I hope we're going to get to some real issues. I hope we're going to get to some real questions. I hope this isn't all you have. And that's when you know you've got them. That's when they're, that's when they're dead in the water. Um, where, where's this guy been? Of course this is a real issue. People that have never been to a school board meeting in their life are going to school board meetings. Uh, and the FBI is surveilling them for doing it. Um, so, yeah, he's, he, he's done. Um, now, I'll tell you, I think... And we'll get to Tim Scott. Tim Scott was a disaster. Tim Scott was 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 an absolute disaster. It was it's over for Tim Scott. I, I do think DeSantis had a pretty good uh, outing at this thing. Um, he looked nervous. He he just still doesn't look comfortable and at ease like a guy that's really the front runner of the other than Trump crowd should be for a guy that's got his kind of numbers and is doing as well as he is. He just still doesn't look comfortable to me, but. Uh, here is uh, Ron DeSantis and Tucker Carlson in Iowa on Friday. They're talking about uh, dealing with the intel agencies and uh, the swamp, cut number 11. So if you, if you were to become president, and previous presidents have discovered this, so you and the vice president, but you're the only elected leaders in an executive branch that's the largest human organization in history. Millions of people okay, work for you. And a lot of them just hate you because they're all partisan Democrats. And they work to subvert you from day one. And again, we've just seen this at scale. What do you do about that? Like, what do you do about the FBI or the CIA or agencies that are heavily armed and have intel capacities that you don't have? And like, they're vast. What, how, what, how do you manage that? With me on day one, you get a new director of the FBI. We need that. That's going to happen. So I think a couple things. One. There are thousands of positions in the executive branch that are appointed by the president. You've got to have all those people ready to go to be submitted yeah. to the Senate in January of 2025. You can't wait two years to fill all the positions because then these career bureaucrats, they just take over. So you've got to have your people in there on day one. You also have, a, have to have certain character of people. Like if you're the attorney general, everything you do to deal with the DOJ, end the weaponization of government, deal with the FBI, the press is going to rake you over the coals. The left is going to rake you over the coals. The Democrats, they're all going to rake you over the coals. You either are down for that or you're not. And yeah, if you can't that's a strong answer. That's a good answer. Um, I think Nikki Haley was pretty good. Um, he asked her bluntly who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Cut number 10. Listen to this. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I mean, I, I don't know. Do I'm, not, I'm not claiming you did it. No. Uh, I'm just kidding. I mean, no, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Do you know who did it? Uh, seems pretty obvious. It was backed by the Biden administration, I would say. I mean, I think all the evidence suggests that, but I wasn't there. 
but I, I, I just, I mean, that seems like a huge step. This is the largest industrial sabotage in history, sent more carbon in the atmosphere than any act ever. And like, there's weirdly no curiosity about who did it. And I think that's strange. What do you well, think? There's a lot of things that are strange with the Biden administration. <laughs> this is the first one. I guess what I'm really saying is if you were running against the Biden administration, to do something like that and shaft our closest allies in the world, which would be Western Europe, and deprive them of the energy they need to run their manufacturing sector and destroy their economy, which it is in the process of doing, like that's a major sin to have done something like that. You just well, betrayed our allies and no one on the right is accusing the Bidens of what they clearly did. So I don't know why. She kind of hides from the question. And I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this too, tell me if you saw it, I, I feel like he pulled his punches with her more. I don't know if he likes her, um, if he favors her, if it was because she's a woman. But he he seemed he seemed much lighter with and gigglier with uh with Nikki Haley. And she she doesn't take the bait on that one because any answer she gives on that one is, is gonna get parsed and sound bited and you know. So she's not gonna she's not gonna she's not gonna answer that one, I don't think, at least at this point. Um Vivek Ramaswamy strong. This is his answer uh, on January 6th. Cut number 14. Listen to this. You want to know what caused January 6th? There's such a temptation to say that there's one man whose name is unspeakable. We well, can't. No, first of all, it's QAnon. It it's QAnon. It's QAnon. <laughs> you want to know what caused January 6th? Is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th. You tell people in this country they cannot speak. That is when they scream. You tell people they cannot scream, that is when they tear things down. And so the reality is, we were told that you could not question where the virus came from when we all knew it came from a lab in Wuhan, which now they admit. We were told that you could not send a private message to someone on the eve of an election that Hunter Biden's laptop story was actually a true story worth considering before an election. You were systematically suppressed. So this is, think about this. You told you had to be locked down, had to take a vaccine that was mandated and forced down your throat, stay locked down in your home while Antifa and BLM roam and burn the streets of this country. So that's the lead up of one full year of telling people you have to shut up, sit down and do as you're told. And then you tell them, okay, there's an election where you didn't get the information that you needed, such as the Hunter Biden laptop story being real and suppressed. That's what caused January 6th, yeah. is a cycle. I, uh, I learned more about these candidates from this event than I have in all the aggregate stuff that I've watched and read up to this point. Tucker Carlson did an amazing job. It was very, it was brilliant of the blaze to get him uh, to do this. They could have just put some, you know, vanilla, milk toast Republican middle-of-the-road guy or gal up there, some anchorette, and just uh, thrown softballs at these people and just made it a nice little family barbecue, get-together kind of thing, meet the candidates. No, I think it was very interesting. Uh, so there were definitely people that advanced themselves as a result of this. It was the uh, the big Blaze Candidate Summit in Iowa over the uh, weekend, uh, emceed by Tucker Carlson. We're playing some of the highlights of that. I I think th I think the people that really came out big were Vivek uh, and DeSantis. Um, although I, I really want to see him re relax, Vivek Ramaswamy is is just he's in his element. Like he he's he's obviously a guy that can spiel, you know. Like I 
I, this is going to sound, I don't mean this as an insult. He almost seems like one of those guys that you see on late night, like selling the nonstick pans or the, you know, the roof seal. He has that, that he has that gift of gab. You know, he's just, I, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to, you're, you're going to want to hear what I have to say. And he's definitely from the era of the podcast, and he has that whole kind of vibe down. Um, Definitely just in terms of being like a delivery vehicle for these ideas, he's really good. Uh, DeSantis, I think, is getting better. Uh, Nikki Haley, not bad, although I, I don't think Tucker Carlson was as, as strong on her as he was on some of the others. But Mike Pence, it's over. Uh, we'll play some Tim Scott coming up. It's it's over. <laughs> Aza Hutchison, it was over before it started. Um, Donald Trump didn't go to this event. I, I guess now I can see why, uh, because... Um, why Why bother when your rivals are chewing themselves up and destroying themselves and, and Tucker Carlson's taking them out for you? But he did do an event at the TPUSA, Turning Point USA uh, conference. This was in Florida. This was, I think, yesterday or Saturday. And uh, I liked what he said about, he was talking to young people about this economy that we're in now, what it means to be young in this economy. Listen to this, cut number four. So many young people here are being utterly extinguished. In the Biden economy, one-third of Gen Z and millennials have no savings accounts and no saving whatsoever. They have nothing. They have nothing. Home ownership has been pushed out of reach for millions with the rate of 30-year mortgages up 177% since I left office. And by the way, that's nothing compared to energy, where we were energy independent. And now you look at what's happened to energy. We're getting our energy from Venezuela. You believe that one? Real wages collapsed 26 months in a row. Real wages because of inflation and various other things that are happening. Typical Americans have seen their incomes crushed by $7,400 a year since Biden took office. Think of that each year, $7,400. Dollars that comes out of very very official offices. This is the number. The you know, biggest pay I, I cut. Listen to them. I listened to him. He he was great at this event, and um, I think to myself, this is like two different campaigns. I mean, I know they're all running for the Republican nomination, but like he's talking about the the dysphoria of the present. Like we're really th- this is not this is no way to live. You know, we shouldn't be living like this. And the other people are talking an awful lot about theory and Republican principles. And I, I don't, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, and I, I certainly don't have a great track record <laughs> predicting elections, but I don't think people want to hear about that. Um, I, I think people want to hear that you get that rent is too high, groceries are too high, you're, you're running out of paycheck before you run out of month. And you have nothing in the bank. You're one emergency away from being, you know, in in big trouble. Uh, too many people live with their f- families and have a bad relationship with their family because they live with them. Uh, too many people are working so much that they're not seeing their kids enough, and that's bad. Uh, and if you're the pro-family party, you got to address that. you got to have an answer for that. Um, I was also glad he did an interview Trump did with Maria Bartiromo, who, like Tucker Carlson, tends to bring out a little more from people, I think, than the average interviewer. And he, he really is now coming around to the fact, Trump is, that he, he, didn't, he didn't make good appointments. He didn't bring good people in. That he started out with bad people. And he named some names. And 
he talked about some of the people he brought in, like Sessions and Barr and Chris Ray, and 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 he's got to do more of this. Um, we, we need to understand, like you heard DeSantis say, this time whoever gets in there this time has got to have a virtual army of people to repopulate the executive branch with, not just cabinet appointments. That's what presidents used to come in with, right? I've got a dozen cabinet appointments. That's not going to be nearly enough now. You're going to have to go several layers deeper than that right away, and there'll be a lot of hue and cry. And what is this? You're 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 ripping apart democracy, and you're you're uh, it's it's like uh, it's like you're it's like there are no norms. It's what you're going to have to do. That's what we're voting for. We are not voting for a different president to preside over this federal government. So we're going to talk about this uh, presidential race and this event in Iowa, and then uh, on the JR poll. Do you agree or disagree with building the Spurs a downtown arena? Oh, man, I can't believe we're talking about this again. I've been doing this so long that every topic we do now is a topic we've done before. Does that mean I've been doing this too long? It's so funny that there's all this new talk about the Spurs sounds so much like what we used to hear. Now, now here's what's happened. Okay, the Spurs started downtown. They played at the convention center, but that was an old place, and it you know that was not going to be a long term thing. And 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 everybody said you got to get out of downtown traffic, uh, congestion, uh, no parking. Okay, so there was a big fad back about thirty years ago that uh, teams were moving out of downtowns, all, all all the all the sports. Let's get out of downtown. Let's go to the suburbs. Let's go to places where there's more parking and restaurants and. People feel safer when they come out late at night and stuff like that. So uh, the fad was get out of downtown. Uh, we got the Alamo Dome, and that was a pig and a poke because they built a football stadium w- but didn't get a football team. Then they repurposed it as a plus-sized basketball arena, and only now in its old age, because the Alamo Dome is now really old by the standards of sports venues, now it is really being used the way it's supposed to for things like the Roadrunners and what have you, the Gunslingers. But mainly I think the Roadrunners have kind of put the Alamo Dome back in circulation. So then the Spurs, uh, remember then there was all the talk about all these other places they were going to go, and they were going to go to the, the one of the quarries, and we eventually uh, got this unhappy sort of compromise decision that nobody liked to put the AT&T Center up over next to the Freeman Coliseum. And that, again, was not a, a real attractive location, but that was what, what they could come up with. And now we need the Spurs. Now they need a new, they get Wemby. They're relevant again, and now they need to be downtown again. <laughs> See what I mean? We've, we've come full circle. Oh, it's important. Synergy. Downtown. Got to have it downtown. Um, and they're talking about a, a complex that would be for basketball and baseball. And Look, I'm going to tell you right now, that's two That's two things. That's not going to be one building. That's two things. That's a baseball park, ostensibly for the missions, but that part of it to me is really like the old Alamo Dome pitch. They really are trying to, they're really trying to show that we can attract or lure or host a Major League Baseball expansion team. I think that's the... I think that's the game here. But anyway, th- th- this would be a dual-use complex. It would be baseball. It would be basketball. And uh, and we need this. And um, this is the way to go. And 
to, to be honest, I've been to cities that have all this stuff downtown. Like Cleveland has all their sports teams clustered together in one place. You could you could walk out of one facility into another. You, I guess in theory you could watch three sports in one night, although they don't all play. But um, I don't know how they did that. I don't know how they pulled that off. I don't know what sacrifices or deals were made. I do know that we're a city with uh, where kids walk to school in the street because there are no sidewalks. Um, we are a city that can't properly pave a street. It buckles the first time we have hot weather. Uh, so it's ridiculous. If it's a new street, it buckles like, like fudge sauce. And if it's, uh, paved over, if they fix potholes, they open right up again. Um, we can't control homelessness. We don't have high speed internet over wide areas, but somehow the same people that can't do any of that, like run the city stuff are going to pull off this complicated, expensive, reimagining of downtown where you're going to have not one but two brand spanking new sports venues Uh, do you do you see the people that are in charge right now i wouldn't i wouldn't want them to check me out at heb much less put them in charge of this kind of money this kind of graft this kind of disruption i i don't think they should run a garage sale I'm sorry, but but and and somebody said to me over the weekend, "Why are you so down on the city?" I'm not down on the city. I moved here, and I've stayed here, and I love it here. But you know, hemisphere—if you think about hemisphere—was spearheaded and watched over by capitalists. That's when this city had its most powerful people were capitalists they were car dealers and bankers and they weren't they weren't effing around with with ideology they were they knew how to roll up their sleeves and get things done and some of it was probably politically incorrect and they probably paved over some neighborhoods of color and they probably did some things that you, that you would like to do differently but but that's how they got it done. They were like, get it done. We're on a deadline. We're getting it done. If you put these people in charge of Hemisphere 68, it wouldn't have happened until 72 if it happened at all. That's what I'm saying. So I, it's not that I don't like the idea of a sports venue. It's that I don't think we have the people or the ideology to do it. The people that did Hemisphere, the people that built this city were civic capitalists. So they were business people who did the city's business. Today, this city is mostly governed, run, led by socialists. You do not give socialists this kind of control over money and real estate unless you want to just destroy the entire thing. I mean, these are not the people that, that would do it, I don't think. That's just my opinion. Um, and I, I don't think you're going to get a lot of, I, I know Wemby's here and I know that the Spurs are relevant again, but, but, you know, this is like, this is an awful lot of, uh, culture change to put on a guy that has played exactly two spring league games. Okay. I'm not just, you know, I'm not disregarding his career in Europe or his apparent skills. He seems like a great kid. I'm glad they got him. I, I, I'm not predicting that he won't work out. I don't know if he will, but I, I imagine he probably will work out, and he probably will be what we hope he is. But for crying out loud, he just got here. And, oh, we need a downtown arena. I mean, it's just, who are these people, you know? 
Do you find it as funny as I do that we have politicians that are very pro-sports business? They've never found any other kind of business that they want. They don't want, they don't want Elon Musk or a defense contractor. They, they, they don't want to build anything else but. They're not interested in doing business with anything else but sports teams. And honestly, they, if, if, if Putin owned a team, they'd bring him over. I mean, th- that's, the one th- that's the one kind of capitalism these socialists downtown seem to love. They'll do anything for it. You know, it's weird. I mean, like, if you're if you're pro business, be pro business, right? And and then, if you're if you sort of foster that culture, you can build stuff like sports arenas because there'll be a business community that will say, "Yeah, we want that here too. That's good for our bottom line, and we'll we'll get in on it and we'll buy into it." I don't just want them to sell the naming rights. I want the corporate money in the actual development and construction of these things. That's if you're going to do it, I think that's how you need to do it. And so th- that's sort of my take on it um as far as a, you know, downtown Spurs facility or baseball facility, um I just don't see the culture, the civic culture for that. Uh if we had capitalists, I'd say okay, they'll find a way. They won't just balance it on the taxpayers. They won't they won't say to people, "Well, you'll have to do without those sidewalks for another 10 or 20 years." But see, the socialists will. 210-599-5555. They're probably already trying to figure out how to get solar panels on the roof of this thing. And see, that's that's completely the wrong-headed way to do this. Uh, so I, I, I guess I sound like I'm of two minds on it. Like, I love sports, and I'd love to have it, and I'd go to it if it was there. But these don't seem like the people that we should do this dance with. I want to see what you think, and that's our question on the JR poll. Tonight is the night that uh, Fox News has their new uh, lineup of people. They're hyping that pretty hard all day today. Um, You know, I I think they missed an opportunity to bring in somebody new. And by new, I mean to maybe bring up from the ranks or the weekend or something. Like, I'm a big big Lawrence Jones fan. I think it would have been great to see more of him or... or, uh, couple of the others but but i mean they basically rearranged their remaining hosts after tucker was booted and uh so that's what they're doing and uh, we can talk about that uh we can talk about this arena thing i feel like the, i feel like we're uh we're we're gonna have uh you know <laughs> we're gonna be hearing from brad messer and ricky ware and eliza sunnyland and we're debating a spurs arena again it's it's that time again i guess everything that goes around comes around or whatever um, probably ga- based on my age, I probably won't be here for the next time we do this. Like that's, this is probably my last, my last time having the, uh, new Spurs arena debate. Um, but I've been here for, for three of them now, so I feel good about that. Um, and that's their question on the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Do you agree or disagree with tax dollars going to a downtown Spurs plus baseball facility? Uh, and, and, my read on it is uh, the basketball part of it is driven by Wemby. The baseball part of it, they say, is for the missions. But I, I think they're trying to make the argument that this is a baseball market. And if you had a vibrant, rockin' minor league downtown, isn't this cool situation, then they'd have a stronger argument the next time Major League Baseball expands or some team uh, somewhere wants to get out of Dodge. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I, 
I, I love baseball. I love basketball. I'm not. I'm not a hypocrite about this. If these things get built, I'll be there. But I just don't. I don't trust the people we have right now. These are not the kinds of of um, you know roll up the sleeves, get it done, civic leaders that build great cities. And that's the thing that's happening all over the country. When you look all over the country, this country has great cities in terms of like their history and their bones, right? Like you know the. The, the the great cities of America were all built by people who were not necessarily or even exclusively politicians. Now they're all in the hands. I'm talking about, you know, Boston, New York, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Los Angeles, Oakland, San Francisco. They're all in the hands of ideologues. They're all in the hands of socialists. And socialists ruin everything they touch anyway. So it's bad enough to to, to hand these, these gems to socialists is bad enough. But then when the socialists say, you know, we've got some ideas, we think we're going to add on, we're going to build... Run for the hills. I mean, look out and grab your wallet because this will be graftapalooza. This will be corrupt. It will be cost overruns. They'll have all these competing interests. Oh, well, we're building a basketball arena, but it also has to be green and, and net zero and solar panels. And uh, we've got to recognize indigenous people and uh, we've got to have pronouns. And, you know, these are not the kind of people that did like Hemisphere. Or did the convention, the original convention center, or or what have you? That's why they're effing up the Alamo, because what you want are brick and mortar people, you know, blueprint guys, hard hat guys. What you get are people that, you know, took civic planning or, um, you know, urban justice courses in college. And yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't bode well. So that's what I think. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. What else is going on in the news today? Dan Bongino uh, said over the weekend that, and remember, he was in the Secret Service. He says that the people he's talking to in his old job are furious with the White House cocaine story. These are people that worked for, you know, Trump, Obama, Bush. They know that they know whose cocaine it is. And we talked about this last week. It has to be humiliating. Just the, the sort of spree de corps of law enforcement. You know, I mean, you, you see the news conferences when, like, that, that serial killer gets busted or they, they, they break up a, a, a ring of car thieves or drug smuggling or whatever. There's always great satisfaction and, and pleasure and joy and pride, as well there should be. And for the for the federal law enforcement to have to pretend, we just have no idea. We just have no idea. He says they hate it. They're furious. I think he's probably right about that. You can join the show at 210-599-5555. What do you think about uh, your tax dollars for a Spurs downtown arena? No, you have not tuned into a time warp from 1995. No, we're 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 back to that again. Uh, they they've come back full circle to. Well, maybe they need to be downtown. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's 
it, it, again, just to be clear, I'm not anti-sports, and if this thing does somehow get built, yeah, I would go. Uh, but I'm, I don't trust the people that we would have to trust to build it, and I don't trust them with our money. And if they want stuff like this, they should be pro-business. We should have a robust uh, pro-business uh, form of government and atmosphere. And then you would have people that would say, you know, we see the, the need for this. This will help our bottom line. This is a civic project. And you would have people in charge of, of developing it, fundraising for it, building it, who are, you know, uh, brick-and-mortar people. The problem in San Antonio is it's a socialist-governed city, and the socialists will totally screw this up. Uh, and 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 I don't trust them. I don't trust them with our money. I don't I don't trust them to um, do it right. I don't trust them to do it um, in a way that's effective. I also I, I don't know how you make the argument. I mean, th- these politicians constantly tell us. What we don't have, we don't have sidewalks, we don't have high-speed internet, we don't have this, we don't have that. And then they're going to turn around and do this? How do you make that argument? You know, how, how in the world do you make that argument? How do you take these people seriously? 210-599-5555. And then we've been talking about the uh, presidential race because I think this Tucker Carlson event that they had on Friday in Iowa uh, was really interesting. Um, if you had a chance to check any of it out, you can... I think you can go to, there's a bunch of different websites that I was watching, like C-SPAN, and I think you can still catch these interviews if you want to see the whole thing. It was Tucker Carlson on a stage with a chair, and one by one, he had, uh, you know, Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and Vivek uh, Ramaswamy and uh, others. And, uh, yeah, definitely some people did themselves some good and some people cratered. Um, so we'll talk about that, 210-599-5555. Uh, Trump was at the Turning Point USA event and also did an interview with Maria uh, Bartiromo. Um, let me give you an example of what I mean by a candidate that really, really looked horrible up there. Uh, this was uh, Senator Tim Scott, who I like, but this is not his year, uh, clearly. Uh, here he is with Tucker Carlson talking about Russia, cut number six. Here's, I'm just interested because all measures are relative. So Russia's bad, Russia's a threat, Putin's evil, got it. But the total body count from Russia in the United States is right around zero. Like, I don't know anyone who's been killed by Russia. I know people personally who've been killed by Mexico. The government of Mexico allows fentanyl to be made in its country and to come over our border. Yes. And remittances from Mexico are a huge part of their economy. The Mexican government is party to the murder of hundreds of thousands of Americans. So why is Mexico less of a threat than Russia? All right, hold well, on, hold things. on. Oh, hold on. That, first of all, that is a great question that no one ever brings up. We talk about these two things separately. We talk about Mexico and the border. We talk about Ukraine, Russia. So he says to a United States senator, well, why are we so concerned militarily, strategically, security-wise with this one as opposed to this other. All right, now listen to Tim Scott. Well, two things. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay, but... Yeah, and for, frankly, mean, here's, here's... No Americans killed by Russia. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands killed by Mexico, but Mexico's our ally and Russia's our enemy. How does that work? Well, I'm not going to pretend like I... The legislation I have sponsored that I would sign as President of the United States freezes the assets of the Mexican cartels, targets the Mexican cartels, and 
hopefully eliminates the flow of fentanyl. Because I do agree with you that 70,000 Americans losing their lives on an annual basis is an existential threat to America that we can solve. We don't have to choose the good news. Is Would we you be willing it. to say to the Mexican government, your economy runs on factories right over the border, car plants, for example, but many other manufacturing uh, plants, and we're just going to slap tariffs on that and tank your economy, like tomorrow, unless you stop allowing poison to come into our country. Like, why not do that? It's interesting because Tucker's questions got more applause at this event than most of the candidate answers. That's why I said I, you can call it Donald Trump's party, the Republican Party, and it is, but it's, it, it, at the moment, I don't know anybody that sort of represents where the actual Republicans I know are, like where their heart is, more than Tucker Carlson. Like, I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, he is better than these candidates, <laughs> even though he's asking questions, not answering them. 210-599-5555. So we'll talk about that. I've got some more uh, Trump to play. We've got some more from that event uh, coming up as well. Um, and what about this arena question that has come back at us again? Uh, like a bad penny, it's come back. Rudy is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Rudy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. Um, yes, sir. My take on this is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, they say that uh, you can tell where a pe- person's values lie based on where they spend their money. And I don't see Spurs or Popovich or any of those other folks investing in their uh, in their Spurs. Uh, I'd like to see that. I mean, I personally don't watch the Spurs anymore. I, I've just got tired of all this stuff. And, I, and frankly, they're really not doing that great anyway. But they have a home. They have a place that the taxpayers already paid for. If they want mm-hmm. something more, I think they go out and get it and see if they mm-hmm. can get a return on investment. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, you know, I'm sure they're probably not going to get a return on investment. The idea of moving this downtown is, is absolutely stupid. When you, when I did go see the Spurs, uh, you know, it's just an issue with traffic and everything else. And it got to where it wasn't fun to do that. And trying to move it downtown just makes it exponentially worse. I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, we, we none of our highways can handle the traffic we have now. Uh, downtown is a mess. You've got the, the, the Alamo thing still going on. That's going to be going on for years. Uh, now you're going to, I guess, somewhere near that, you're going to do what? Take a bunch of land by eminent domain. Are you, are you planning on improving a lot of roads? Uh, are we going to be uh, getting there? I mean, how are we going to get there? You don't want us driving. You want us taking mass transit. How's that going to work? I mean, it's it just, and these are the wrong people to do it, Rudy. And, and then you make a great point, Absolutely. which is that the last time this came up and people debated whether or not they wanted to pay for it, they didn't have Greg Popovich telling them they were racists and, and knuckle-draggers like they do now. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like the right time to go to the people of San Antonio with this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, no, I, I, think I think that's a great... The wrong... If I want to start a business, I don't think that San Antonio is going to pay for me to start a business you know, or, or expand a business. And for us to ask this multimillion-dollar yeah. uh, uh, company, basically it's a company, to, to fund yeah. it, you know, the taxpayers, is just wrong. And I, yeah. I can't imagine how... They feel good about doing this. Well, because everybody because everybody does it. Every every sports team in every city does it. It's the. I mean, I will say this: the Spurs aren't doing anything. Nobody is doing anything here that you wouldn't see in every other city in America. This is what's going on with every football team, basketball, baseball. So it it is the norm now. But but yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, he he has not made (laughs) he has not made more friends. 
uh, for the Spurs. Rudy, uh, thank you for the call. I'll, I'll tell you one quick thing, uh, just kind of off topic, but um, when this came up in like, uh, I want to say around 1995, I was at the other station, and I had just gotten here. And this is when they were debating whether they were going to, the Spurs were at the Alamo Dome, but were they going to build an arena at that northeast quarry that I think now has the football soccer complex? Anyway, I'm working at the, the other station. It's the Spurs station. The company that owns that station and still owns it, a part investor in the Spurs, um, that was a very interesting time because I'm on the air every day saying pretty much what I'm saying now, and and you know me. And I kept waiting for them to come to me and go, you know, this is a problem. We're having a little bit of a problem where we'd like you to tone it down. We're like, And I will say to their credit, they never did. No one ever said word one to me over there about how my position was the opposite of the position that the, that the company uh, took and that obviously the team took um, but it was a little touch and go I do remember that I do remember like waiting for that meeting that fortunately was never called um, talking about the uh, interest in a Spurs downtown arena that would also have a baseball uh, stadium attached to it or adjacent to it I mean these are two things right you got to build two things you can't build one building that's going to be for both um, and while that may seem like a, a wonderful thing and a great idea, uh, when you start looking at the complexity of it, the cost of it, the choices you're making to fund that versus other things that the city doesn't have and really needs, um, and then you look at the people we have in charge. Uh, and I'm not even talking about, I, I think I think the, the gentleman that, that, that talked about uh, Pop's politics, I mean, that's a great point. But before you even get to that, because he won't always be here, um, before you even get to that, wh- you realize that the people running this town are socialists. And they can't make the basics work. They are forever virtue signaling about pronouns and renewable energy and equity and <laughs> diversity. If you were going to do something like this, which would, which would become one of the most ambitious um, public works projects in the country, you would want somebody of an entirely different caliber. And um, I don't see that. You know, 55 years ago, the city fathers strong-armed a World's Fair into what was then a very sleepy city, not not the happening place it is now. We got Hemisphere, and we had a World's Fair. We got the Tower of the Americas. We got all the cool buildings down along uh, what we now call Cesar Chavez. But remember that those were those were bankers and business people and military people and car dealers. And that's not who's running the ball game. And those aren't the kinds of people. I mean, when's the last time we had somebody like that on city council? And so that's what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's very sketchy to me.
and, and I, I would include you know commissioner's court and just the whole the whole the whole infrastructure right now is people that are um ideologues not builders and for this you need builders uh curtis is at 210 599 curtis good afternoon good afternoon i totally agree with you um our city government, and I'll throw the county government in there as well, couldn't plan their way out of a wet paper bag. And for anyone who doesn't agree with that, all I have to say is the 300th anniversary of San Antonio. That was such a non-event. I find that embarrassing as a city of the size of San Antonio that we let our 300th anniversary go by without so much as a blip on the radar. They're, they did nothing. The only thing I remember is uh, they had a couple programs on Channel 12, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the city's history and whatnot. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I remember the logo. I remember seeing the logo for it, and yeah, then I never heard any more about it. Nope. And, um, and you know, really, it's easy for me to say this because I'm not a sports person. haven't been a sports person since uh, Tom Landry got fired from the Cowboys. Um <laughs> <laughs> because there are no more sportsmen. There are no more Roger Staubachs or Danny Whites, Two Tall Jones, anything like that. But, you know, if, if the Spurs want so badly to be closer to downtown, let them occupy the Alamo Dome again. Mm. Well, there you so, go. Uh, yeah, Chris, thanks. thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I, you know, I, again, I am a sports fan, and I, and I will freely admit, and you can call me a hypocrite or two-faced or <laughs> I mean, I'll freely admit, if somehow this gets pulled off, I'll love it. But I'm not going to lie to you. Um, if they pull it off, they'll probably uh, waste a ton of money, steal a ton of money, uh, do it in the most inefficient way. They will probably not build out the infrastructure around it sufficiently because they didn't even do that with the AT&T Center. Uh, that's an anthill when, when, when things let out over there. You know, an interstate highway backs up when you have an event there. What does that tell you? And, you know, the they always have big ideas, but people that are socialists are not builders. They're redistributionists. Capitalists know how to create value, how to increase capital. Socialists just know how to consume it. So a lot of money will get consumed, but I don't know what we'll have to show for it. That's 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 my only point. Again, you show me a different group of people, and I'd say, yeah, let's try this, or this might work, or this might be good. But I, I don't see it with this group. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Got a pretty amazing story uh, to tell you. Speaking of what's happening in our cities, um, I, I've been waiting all weekend to, to share this this one with you. This is so. It's from my old hometown. It is really something. And it's the kind of headline you never thought you'd probably never thought you'd see uh, in the United States of America. So anyway, we got that story coming up. Uh, you're voting in the JR poll. I'm going to play some more stuff as we go along through the afternoon from this uh, candidate event in Iowa with Tucker Carlson. What do you think about these candidates and what you've heard of that event? Um, seems to me like um, right now Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson are in a level by themselves as far as reflecting what the people I know who call themselves Republicans feel and think. And I look at these people that are running for president, like Mike Pence or, you know, uh, Tim Scott, and I, I it's just, I, look, what planet, you know? 
where, where are you coming from? But, but see, that's the dev- that was the thing that made Trump different to begin with. They, they still, they're still giving like 2004 answers. And we're coming up on 2024. And I don't see anybody learning that lesson. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, I did tell him. I did say, uh, you, you do realize, Giovanni, that people that listen to this show, the last thing they want to do is come out and see it. I said, that's, that's not, that's not going to be a big draw, but he, he still wants us there, and we'll be there. Um, the mayor of Boston is named Michelle Wu. She took office um, recently, and it was historic. She's the first um, Asian uh, mayor of Boston. Um, and we talked about this when she first was elected because she's a pretty impressive person. She she has a very impressive like personal story and um, one of those great American immigrant stories and smart lady. Um, she is taking a lot of heat for something that came out over the weekend um, and what is being called by some a Nixonian tactic. She's admitted that she created an enemies list and gave it to the Boston Police Department. These are people that are her, are her uh, most ardent critics. The mayor says that she has been harassed and intimidated by people at public functions and outside her home and going for coffee and whatnot. And so she compiled a list of people, and it only came to light through a public information request. Uh, I don't know who did that. I don't know if it was a journalist or one of her political opponents, but they did a freedom of information, public information request. And it's like an enemies list. It's like a list of people that have picketed her office or her home or yelled at her in public or heckled her at the parades that she walks in. And, you know, my first thought is that um, I, I'm not a fan of, of any of those tactics. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the tactic of taking your differences with somebody to their, to their house or their neighborhood. It's not what I would do. But it also goes with the territory of our times. In other words, she's not unique in this. Pretty sure every mayor, governor, um, other elected officials, members of Congress, the, the people are angry. Uh, people are outraged. There's a level of, of fear and disillusionment and just raw anger that may be the highest in our lifetime i think i think it eclipses the the anger and the angst of like the anti-vietnam war 60s so it's there and it's it it goes with the territory of being the mayor of one of the largest cities in the country but the idea that you would make a list of people and give it to the police is problematic so what are they going to do what are they supposed to do with that list? And and she can't answer that. 
And you know how it works, right? If you break the law, you're in trouble. But you can't be in trouble just because you don't like the people in charge or you oppose them or you didn't vote for them or you wrote letters about them or you carried signs or you put a sticker on your car. You can't be in trouble for that. Or can you? And I don't know what's worse, that she made the list, or her people did, or that the Boston Police Department took the list. Like, yeah, okay, we'll work with you on this. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I don't want anything to happen to her. I don't agree with her about any, anything, but I, I wouldn't want anything to happen to her. And you would expect the police department in any city to be careful and, and protective of the mayor and, and to prevent anything from happening to her or her family. I'm all for that. But a list? And I started thinking about this, too, because I'm from there. Um, If you think about the history of Boston, like the American Revolution, I bet there was a list then, too. And the people on that list are now the, the most honored, revered names in American history. I mean, they're literally the people that founded this country. I know we're tearing down their statues and stuff, but I mean, history is history. I'm just saying, it's kind of a it's kind of a mark of honor to be on a list like that. It shouldn't happen, and there's no way the police should be playing with this. But it's kind of a mark of honor to to make. Like, I'd want I'd want to be on that list. Two ten five nine nine fifty five. 55. So, when I was in music radio back in the 1980s, a song came out by a singer named Tracy Chapman. And full disclosure, I'm not really a fan uh, of Tracy Chapman. She's a folk, kind of a folk singer, and folk singing is just kind of boring to me. I just don't like it. But I'm not, I'm not putting it down. It's just not for me. But she had this huge hit. Uh, you may remember it called "Fast Car." This is what it sounded like. I remember when we were and it was a it was a big hit we played it on the on the music radio station that i worked at it got num- number of grammy award nominations um and won a number of awards that year and it was a platinum record and all that so that was then that was 35 years ago and now a country singer named Luke Combs has covered Fast Car. This is what it sounds like. I don't really, I still don't really like the song, but okay. Uh, modern country is also not really my thing, but um, that's okay. Uh, so he covers the song, and this um, writer at the New York Times named Emily Yar uh, started writing about this phenomenon, tweeting, as Luke Combs' hit cover of Tracy Chapman's Fast Car dominates the country charts, so I guess it's doing very well, I don't know. It's bringing up some complicated emotions in fans and singers who know that Chapman, as a queer black woman, would have an almost zero chance at that achievement herself. I, I got to say, back in the 80s, I did not know that Tracy Chapman was queer, and I don't care 
and I wouldn't have cared then if I'd known. Uh, and yes, I imagine it's true that Tracy Chapman would not get on country radio because country radio usually only plays country artists, i.e. artists whose music and sound and names are known uh, to that audience. But what is the point of the story here? So Tracy Chapman had a hit, and somebody else thought it was a good enough song to do another version of it, which happens all the time, and is, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, do we believe that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Because if we do, then having an artist cover a song 35 years later is probably uh, a real tribute. It means that the song has lived on, and and somebody wants to, you know, take it for another ride. Um, what what are we saying here? Are we saying that country music fans are homophobes or racist? Well, I guess they're both, right? I mean, how does this get to be a discussion? And I, I also have to ask, I don't know who Emily Yar is. I've never heard of her. I, I just wonder with people like her, and we... We see these kinds of outrage du jour stories in the news all the time. Do they really, like, does this really bother Emily? Like, did she write this because it's just been, it's just been burning a hole in her mind? Like, I just don't feel this is fair to Tracy Chapman. Or, or are they just looking for clickbait and, and, and stirring the pot and division is good business? It, it's, so she had a hit with the song. The cover is a hit with the song. There are probably people that love the song so much they'll like both versions. There are probably people that only like the Tracy Chapman version and just don't like Luke Combs and vice versa, right? I'm sure. So what? Why is it special that Tracy Chapman is black and queer? The biggest country hit ever was by a gay black artist. I, I, I mean... I realize some people would say, well, that's modern country, and I, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just making the point. That was on the country charts. It was on the country stations. Little Nas X, Old, Old Town Road. You know, you remember that. We played it. What are we saying here? What are we doing here? It seems like a, it seems like they're trying to answer a question no one was asking in the first place. And then to do a story like this, you have to go to basically professional grievance people. You have to go to people who make their living airing and stirring uh, grievance. And they're probably people that had to Google Luke Combs. And maybe some of them had to Google Tracy Chapman, too. So that they could tell us how offensive the whole thing is. I don't know how the artists themselves feel, although there was a statement from Tracy Chapman. I don't know if she wrote it or her management team wrote it, but there was a statement from her uh, on Billboard's website that said simply, I never expected to find myself on the country charts, but I'm honored to be there. I'm happy for Luke and his success and grateful that new fans have found and embraced Fast Car. Pretty nice. Really all that needs to be said, right? You may not care about the song, and I don't ask you to, but this kind of divisiveness is intentional. There wasn't an issue. 
They tried to make one. That's what is tearing us apart. We haven't become more hateful, but there are people trying very, very hard. And I think that's that's the, the takeaway for me. There are people sitting in front of a computer with space to fill, print, or airtime, air, air looking for and manufacturing hatred, envy, div- division, phobia. And every single thing the left touches, they make more divisive, more bitter, more envious. And it's not by accident. And it's not like they're reflecting, well, this is people are really angry. At, uh, there's all these Tracy Chapman fans that are angry. They, if anything, they were probably feeling like Tracy did, like, hey, it's great that this song is, people are discovering it again. And one of the cool things about music nowadays, unlike when I was in music radio where you had to depend on radio, now if people hear the Luke Combs version, say they, say they listen to KJ97 and they hear it and they're like, wow, I really like, what, what's the deal with this song? They Google it, they might, they might discover Tracy Chapman. It's a great thing. Except to the New York Times. But, um, yeah, now they're trying to say, oh, well, this country artist comes along and it's, it's racist and it's homophobic and why isn't country music playing her? It's such a stupid question. They know the answer. They're not really wondering. It's all just, you know... Throw some more salt in the pot, right? 210-599-5555, a new survey uh, done for Newsweek, says that almost half of people who are millennials believe that you should get jail time if you misgender someone. 46% of millennials, that's people in their mid-20s and mid-30s, say there should be criminal charges if you use the wrong pronoun. It's an act of violence. Say some, that's what they say, for example, at the colleges and universities that have made a rule. It's an act of verbal violence. So, I'm so old, I remember when, I remember when you went out into the world, whether it was to school, to your first job, to sort of like grow up and part of growing up was learning to absorb stuff that was new to you unfamiliar to you unpleasant besides the obvious i know we can we can all agree that that there's something spooky about making language illegal um i i guess i just wonder Where is the resilience that everybody is going to need, going to come from? You know, we were talking the other day about the the guy that did the Facebook post about his yearbook. The people have written mean things about him being gay in his yearbook. And he said, I forgive them, and I'm fine, and I'm okay with this. I just wanted people to see what was written so that they would know, you know, don't do this. And, and, And it was a very reasonable thing to say, and he said it very well. Um. I, I guess I just wonder where does the where does the the the, 
the toughening, the resilience, the thick skin, where will it come from if every single thing that could ever offend you, bother you, etc., is illegal? I, I mean, do we literally think that if we keep making rules and laws people will never get their feelings hurt? Is that the idea, to just create a world in which there is no pain? Because we could all just take drugs, right? We could all just numb ourselves, if that's the goal. Why don't we just go to that now and save ourselves the aggravation and the debate? Uh, Do you agree or disagree with tax dollars for a downtown Spurs plus baseball facility? Do you feel like like paying for that? Uh, They're talking about it. Imagine this... I mean, it's just it's just hilarious. First of all, this, this it, it seems to be driven by this this Wemby mania, and I and I love the guy, but two spring league games or summer league, whatever they call it, that's it. Um, has hasn't played a single NBA minute. Probably will be great when he does. You never know. And the Spurs are relevant again. They're they're in the conversation again. But the part that's so hilarious is they were downtown. <laughs> 30 years ago, 35 years ago, they was like, get them out of downtown. Now we got to bring them back. 210-599-5555. We were talking about the Tracy Chapman thing. I, uh, I know it's hard for some people to believe, but if there's one thing I learned from being in music radio, which I was in before talk radio, it's that um, people just like a good song. And they don't sort out how they feel about it by who sings it. They might find out who sang it later, and they might be more or less interested in it then. But when they hear a song and they like it, and it gets stuck in their head, or they hum it, or they sing it in the shower, or they just search for it in their playlist, that's, that is it. That's the magic of music. It would take a culture warrior to try to turn that into a, well, uh, what about uh, this lesbian black woman? And you know who's familiar with this whole rigmarole is Clarence Thomas. Think about Clarence Thomas's life for a minute, the Supreme Court Justice. He's only the second black man ever to be on the Supreme Court. And he was the first black man to do a lot of the things he did in his life. And... Not that he would want your sympathy, but I'm sure he's had his struggles. I'm sure he's been in some pretty lonely situations. And uh, he's been on the Supreme Court now for, what, about 30-something years, 33, 34 years, something like that. I think he's the senior member of the court. It's never stopped. The the name-calling, the Uncle Tom, the you're a traitor to your race, it's never stopped. Keith Ellison is the Attorney General of Minnesota, a real piece of work. Former member of Congress, major race baiter. He um, did an interview where he said that he's reminded of Clarence Thomas when he watches the movie Django and the character Stephen. He says this about Clarence Thomas. He's the, I'm looking out for me and I don't care nothing about you. He's abdicating his responsibility. 
When he got in office, he was this way. He's this way now. Maybe he's worse now. Clarence Thomas needs to be impeached. Clarence Thomas is illegitimate and has no basis in the job that he's in. You know, I would have thought, if we ever heard words like that about Clarence Thomas, that they would probably come from a white racist, not a black racist. That's surprising. Maybe you're not surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be. So, in Ellison's view, Clarence Thomas is a traitor to his race because he doesn't act in the way that Ellison believes a black man should act. Well, first of all, let me put this out there. When you're on the Supreme Court, it's not about public opinion. You're not representing anyone. It's not a legislative position. So, for starters, no one on the Supreme Court represents anyone. I think Keith Ellison knows that. He's just pretending he doesn't. But secondly, do you see what happens when you take the uh, the premise that all we want is representation, all we want is presence. Um, it was considered scandalous that the Supreme Court did not have a black justice until 1967 and then didn't have another one for 20-plus more years until Clarence Thomas. But now that there is one, he is a traitor. He's worthless. That's literally the word. He's, he's, he's a worthless human being. I, I wonder if Keith Ellison realizes that he can't tie Clarence Thomas's shoes. That Keith Ellison came up politically and, and so forth in a, di in a very different era. Uh, he didn't have to overcome what Clarence Thomas did. And part of the reason he didn't have to overcome it is because Clarence Thomas overcame it. People that are trying to divide us and spoil us are also attempting to deny the achievements of people much greater than them. I wouldn't mind if they were just ignorant of it or dismissive of it, but they're actually trying to deny it. Like, it didn't happen. And every time I read about the kinds of vicious personal attacks and ad hominem attacks on Clarence Thomas... And I presume the people making those attacks know something about him or know something about his life. I realize that if they can be this dismissive of him, imagine the disdain and the contempt they feel for us. And my question to Keith Ellison would be, who do you represent? Because Clarence Thomas, again, is on the Supreme Court. He's a judge. He doesn't represent anybody. He is there to determine matters of law and the Constitution. There's no constituency. And that's why we don't elect the justices of the Supreme Court. That's why we don't want them to have a D or an R after their name, even though it's widely known what their predilections are. But in theory, they don't represent anybody. But who does Keith Ellison represent? Um, who, what, what historical figure should I think of when I think of Keith Ellison? I don't know the answer to that. I guess it's a rhetorical question. 
But it would just be nice to see people who are standing on the shoulders of greater people just have a little bit of humility about that, just a little bit of awareness of that. And you could say, you know what, I don't agree with the rulings or the opinions written by Justice Thomas, but I, I know I'm here in part because of the path he blazed and the obstacles he overcame and the, the firsts that he represented. But no. no. Keith Ellison is the beginning of history. No, there was no history before him. He is fully sprung from his own ambitions and talents, and he owes nothing to nobody. And, and he knows all about what an empty suit, what a traitor Clarence Thomas is. Clarence Thomas, Keith Ellison, not even in the same dimension, right? Uh, where are you on a uh, taxpayer-funded downtown Spurs plus baseball facility? Uh, liking it, loving it, hating it, it'll never happen. What do you think? Um, how do you feel about uh, self-checkout at the grocery store or any store? We've talked about this before. Are you Do, do you head right for that? Like, let me get out of here. Let me just get this done. If I have the you know a few a small number of items i think was it usually 15 or fewer right if i have a small number of items um i do it because i feel like it's faster and i don't have to make small talk and not to brag but my um scanning and bagging game is pretty good like i i'll tell you right now i look around i'm 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 doing pretty well versus the other people in the self checkout area like, sometimes I'm even helping other people. Just saying. You know, I've had a lot of practice. Kind of proud of it. Some people hate it because they're like, why do I have to come? I'm coming to this store. I'm giving you my business. Why do I have to work here? Why do I have to do your job? And now there's the uh, president of a supermarket chain, a small chain of stores, um, mostly in the uh, kind of the... Uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio region. And he says that they are going to um, not do self-checkout. He's going to buck the trend. His name is Vincent Fury. He's going to buck the trend that is growing in his industry. He says, I think it's very disrespectful to walk in and have nobody waiting on you. I'm spending my money in your store. I'm giving you the profit that you need to make and maintain the store. And you're doing away with employees, which are my neighbors and friends and relatives. That doesn't make any sense to me. So he says his stores will not have self-checkout. What do you think about it? I mean, I'm. Uh, let me tell you something. I'm. I'm so into this. Like I've. I've actually memorized some of the fruit and vegetable codes. Yeah. Like, I know the Gala Apples number and the banana number. Yeah, I mean, but but I get it. I get that people don't like it, and I don't blame you. For me, it's just a question of let me get this over with. But you'd have to see me shop because I'm not like most people. Like, I notice when people get to HEB, they go into the store at a normal clip, but then the minute they get in there, have you ever seen this? They get the wagon, and they start out, and they start. They enter kind of a trance state. 
all of a sudden people are, are, are almost like frozen in place. They're looking around, their heads on a swivel, like they've never seen it before. Now, that can't be true of everybody. I mean, you must have been in HEB before, but everybody gets in there and they're in a daze. The bakery, the fruit, the flowers, the balloon. And I am like, I am flying through the store. I've got a list. I'm ta- my wagon is on two wheels. I'm going around corners. I'm zigzagging around people that have stopped to browse the pickles. I, I'm just like, and then I'm heading for that self-checkout because I'm on a roll. I don't have time to stand in line. Get me one of these terminals. Bing, 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 bing. Bag it. I like bagging it myself because, you know, no offense to these kids, but sometimes they throw like, you know, a, a heavy can on top of your bread or your, you know, pasta or something like that. So I'm trying to bag it intelligently, you know, and uh, I, I, but I get the other argument. I get what this guy is saying, that it feels like you're doing away with jobs and you're making the customers uh, do the jobs. You know what I think might happen to self-checkout, though, that might doom it is all the, all the shoplifting. Because I know they have cameras, and they, it's supposedly it's very like buttoned down, but it seems to me that if if there really is a big problem with theft, and that's what all the people in retail say, right? They say that it's never been worse. All these big companies, Walmart, T- Target, they're all saying that they've never had it so bad. There's never been so much, um, so many losses, uh, so much inventory that goes walking, and um, if that's true. It seems like the self-checkout model may not be the one because you still got to have, you're either going to have to have people monitoring that area, right, either in person or via camera, or you're going to have to have somebody checking receipts. And it's funny to me, people get very offended at having to show receipts. Like all of a sudden, everybody's a libertarian. (laughs) right now again i don't care i don't mind and i don't care but maybe i'm just weird that way um but i even read an article where a guy was saying well uh you actually don't have to show them the receipt he was i think he was arguing that you have the legal right not to but i don't know i mean how that would go if you tried to walk out without showing your receipt at like costco or walmart or something like that um i would just say you know um Yes, they are eliminating jobs, and that's probably why they're doing it, obviously. Um, But I have no control over that. So if that's what they're doing, and that's how it's going to be, then I'm fine with it. I'll do it. And I I, I don't feel like I am being put upon. I mean, I've got bigger problems than having to scan a few things at HEB. or Right? I mean, come on. That's your biggest gripe. Your life is going pretty well. Now, I mean, if you can't do it, there should be, and there usually are, traditional checkout lanes with a person, and you just put your stuff on the belt. And and if I have a big order, I'll do that, and that's fine. I don't really get bent out of shape about it one way or the other, I guess. I, mean, I, I, know, I know talk show hosts are always supposed to have, like, these really, uh, like, polarizing opinions, but I'm, I'm supposed to either be outraged or... Totally on board. To me, it's like, is it really that big a deal? And the more I do it, I'm finding the better I'm getting at it. So let me know if you need some help. If you see me in the store, you know, 
Get you that four-digit four code for the cucumbers. 210-599-5555. You know what I'm talking about, Don, right? Oh, absolutely. The absolutely. I've well, got some of those memorized. What, one of the things Isn't I've noticed. It, it, well, that's kind of part of your personality, though. You know, yeah, that's, that's kind true. of what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> absolutely. You know, if you know the truth about it. But one of, one of the things I've noticed about HEB is yes. that they, they lock up one of their main interests. Yes. To the store now. Oh, at night. Yeah. Yes. Well, even early in the late afternoon, actually. is when Oh, have they done that? Mm-hmm. I didn't notice mm-hmm. that in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the night thing, I'm always, I, I never fails. I always go to the one that's not open. Like, I'll park, you know, H-E-B, are, those are really wide <laughs> stores, oh, right? Yes. So you're like, oh, great, I can park right near the door. And then, oh, it's the other entrance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very aggravating. Um, are yes. you a self-checkout guy, or are you a, I you must, want your... No, I'm a self-checkout. I want to get in, and I'm one of those. Now, every now and then, I'll shop around, you know, and kind of spend a little time longer than I need to be. But uh, but when it comes to the checkout, I just want to get. And a lot of that has a lot to do with because I, I, I just don't want to stand there and have small chat, chit-chat with someone. I have no idea who you are. You know? I, um, and I'm happens. not anti-people or happens. anything, no, and I'm not trying not, to be mean. I just, that. yeah, I just, I'm usually not in the mood for it. Um, I just want to get in and out. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel for the, the uh, do we call them cashiers? I don't even know what we call them anymore. I used to call them cashiers. Like, I'll go to my HEB, and if I go through the regular checkout, you know, the kid is like 18, 19, 20 years old. I know he's supposed to talk to me, and so he does. Mm-hmm. But I feel bad for him. He's like, he doesn't want to talk to me. So, so any big plans tonight? Like, yeah. <laughs> how am I supposed to answer? How am I supposed to answer that? Well, you know. Well, one of one of the issues that, that I have sometimes, if I'm standing in line, you know, to be checked out, basically, as far as that, it never it never ceases that I, I end up with someone standing next to me, and I find out more about this person's mm. backstory yes. and their life yeah. story, and and she's mad at or he. He or she is mad at their husband or wife right. or partner, whatever the case That's may true. be. You know, people I, are dying for somebody. To I have talk no to. idea who these people yeah. are, but I end up learning more about their life than uh, I you really need You should tell them. Look, I have to. You should tell them. Look, I have to listen to Jack Riccardi all week. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to hear your problems too. I'm. I've done my part. All right, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five or Jack at KTSA dot com. Becky writes, I love self checkout. My first job when I was sixteen was a bagger. That was back in the days of the automatic carryout as well. Do stores even offer carryout? I don't even think that's a thing anymore. I think they do. I think they offer to take it out to your car. Uh, I'm in and out pretty quickly. It's all about building the walls. Bagger talk. Oh yes, building the walls in the bag. Right, yes. I also remember produce codes from when I was a cashier. Everyone remembers the code for bananas, 4011. Grocery store executive says his store will not follow the trend of having a self-checkout area. says people should be waited on. They expect that. And when you do self-checkout, you're taking away jobs. But, of course, that's the point, I would imagine, of self-checkout. Uh, what do you think? 210-599-5555. Mike is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hey, uh, uh, Jack. I, I love Kroger. 
and uh, I don't live in San Antonio, but I love Kroger because I get great sale deals on my app on my phone and everything. And the other day I was in there, and uh, there had been a case where a guy had, had a couple of hundred dollars worth of king crab legs, and he scanned something that was like two bucks. And they caught him, and I was talking to the manager about how, how that works. And it, they have cameras above the self-checkout, mm. and they have cameras that show the bottom of the cart. Wow. They also have wheels on the carts that lock if they go through the uh, through the doors to go out and and they haven't paid for something. I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah. So the technology really is there, you know, to protect. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you've got to spend that much money on the technology and the monitoring, wouldn't it be cheaper to just have a kid ringing up the groceries? Well, I guess so, but you know, I like to self-checkout, and uh, I like to self-checkout because I like to make sure I'm getting, you know, the coupon deals that I have uh, got, you know, saved on my phone. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, I, it's incredible uh, the the deals that I get there, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and I love shopping at Kroger. Okay. And when I used to live in San Antonio, I loved HEB because mm-hmm. I I liked how big and enormous the store was. And, you know, mm-hmm. you could walk in and they're making tortillas, and, you know, right. <laughs> when you walk in and stuff like that. I really, I really did like that. But uh, where I live now, I would really love Kroger. All right. Mike, thank you. Good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Uh, Sam is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Hi there, Hi there Sam. Hey, bud. Uh, I love the softball topic. Let's see how hot we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's how they get you. You're, you're soft compliance. Your willingness to go and scan your own products. Mm. And then what happens when you go up to scan your product and they say, I'm sorry, sir, you've already had too much sugar this month. You can't mm. have that. They don't let you scan it. Mm. Next. Well, why couldn't, they, why couldn't they do that to me at the regular cash register? They can, but I'm just saying. That's, you're, well, what, you're well, then why is that an issue argue. at the self? But why is that an issue at the self-checkout if they could just as easily regulate my sugar at the other one? Or maybe because the person in front of you, you could talk to them and be like, hey, this is for my grandma. It's not for me. And then maybe they could push the little override key. I don't think you thought this all the way through, Sam. I, I mean, I hear what you're I, saying, but I don't think I don't think there's any more or less uh, potential for social engineering at one than at the other. I mean, I will agree with you that they are conditioning people to expect less service across the board. Yes. We pump our own gas. We scan our own groceries. But, but I also, I think you will agree... That is happening in part because politicians keep raising the minimum wage beyond what the actual jobs are worth. In other words, the minimum like wage is no longer pegged to the value of the labor. If we let it, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. If you get those customers, if you get those guys behind the counter that are willing to have that small chat with you, hey, what's mm-hmm. going on, how it is, mm-hmm. and, and they're paid well, and they don't mm-hmm. mind the real quick BS with you, because, hey, I'm making 15 bucks an hour. Yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give this guy a little once over. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. your hat. That looks good with your shoes. Good job, right. guy. Way to go. Right. You right. know, you get, you get what you pay for, right? Okay. All right, Sam. Uh, 210. I'm not sure where that was going, but okay. 210-599-5555. Yeah, I, I, I do think that um, there could be. I, I've thought about this in the past. There definitely could be, if we keep going politically in the direction we're going, uh, I think there could very well be 
a kind of social credit system where you go to buy something and there is a throttling down of you being able to get, whether it's sugar, whether it's alcohol, whatever. I, I could see that. I think those days are 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 coming if we continue if we continue on the road we're on. But I don't think self checkout has anything to do with that. I mean, if they're monitoring your purchases uh, and they're monitoring how you spend your money, and if they're monitoring your your life in general, uh, that's already that's already a thing. Um, maybe what will ruin or or inhibit the trend of self-checkout is all the 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 shoplifting and theft because even though there is security at the self-checkout area like the gentleman said you've heard about how some of the stores in cities like san francisco are going to a putting everything behind glass model so you're going to go into a store like that you're not actually picking stuff off the shelf and putting it in a cart, you are having to go to someone and ask for a box of crackers, a, a you know, a jar of this, a carton of that. And, um, and so needless to say, there won't be self-checkout because you're not even handling this stuff until you take it out to your car. I, I think that could be what does in self-checkout. This, this new anti-looting retail model that we're starting to see, which I hope, I certainly hope doesn't become ubiquitous. But like a couple of the callers said, a lot of what's happening in the retail world kind of reflects what's happening in the larger world. So if people are afraid, if they feel threatened, if they feel unsafe, um, then stores will reflect that. And you're going to, you know, if you go into the Target, uh, one of the Targets here in San Antonio tonight, and then you were to go into a Target, say, in Oakland, it's going to be a totally different experience because of the climate, the, the public safety climate in these two places. So. But as for now, give me the self-checkout, and you do not want to go shopping with me. You would never want to go grocery shopping with me because, like, you know, people that like to, like, stop and try the samples and look at the things in the end, the end caps of the uh, – I'm, like, flying. I've got the list. On to the next thing. Um, I shop like I left something on the stove at home and I need to get, <laughs> I need to get back to it. That's just the way I am. I just want to get it done and get out of there. I like doing it, but I want to get it over with. I guess I do everything that way now that I think about it. All right, on the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, do you agree or disagree with tax dollars for a downtown Spurs plus baseball facility? 93% disagree, 7% agree. Uh, if how we felt mattered, I would say that doesn't bode well, but um, what we think of this is not going to have very much to do with whether or not it happens. I would suspect. Anyway, new JR poll tomorrow when we get started at 4 Live. You can also find the JR poll anytime at ktsa.com. And uh, remember, we have the Jack Chat line open. So if you think of something on one of these topics later on tonight that you meant to say, or oh, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd called, uh, you know, you can always call and leave that comment at 210 599 Just leave your first name, city or town, your comment. Have a little fun with it, you know? Be a little be a little crazy.
And we'll play those uh, when we get them. Uh, Dolly Parton says she has no plans to retire, but says ideally she would die in the middle of a song on stage. She was doing an interview in which she says, she's 77 now, I'll never retire, I'll hopefully just drop dead in the middle of a song on stage someday. That's how I hope to go. Of course, we don't have much of a choice in that. I um, They always say, right, when somebody dies, the, the, the old cliche is, well, he would have wanted to go this way, or she was doing what she loved. And I do understand that. But that's probably not ideal. Like, for some jobs, you, you, wouldn't, like you wouldn't want an airline pilot to say, I really love my work. I I hope I died in the middle of a flight. You know, you wouldn't that wouldn't be or or, or like a surgeon, you know. Or a Uber driver, you know. So I hope Dolly has a long way to go and I hope we don't see her just kick off in the middle of a performance, but she says she'd be fine with that. Um This is uh Another day of the biggest labor fight uh, Hollywood has seen in decades. As you know, the uh, writers and the Screen Actors Guilds are both on strike. And um, now, uh, do you know who Barry Diller is? Very famous uh, entertainment executive. He's, he's, he ran uh, Paramount and he ran Blockbuster and he's, he's run some big companies. He says uh, this could produce the absolute collapse of the Hollywood entertainment industry this strike could bring about the absolute collapse of the entertainment industry are we supposed to be worried about that or is it <laughs> should we cross our fingers or i love movies i do uh, but i don't think there's something called creative destruction in economics there's a term called creative destruction where you have to destroy something in order to create the 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 grounds or the means for it to be recreated and maybe maybe hollywood would benefit you know like how bad would it be we're not going to forget how to act we're not going to forget how to write we're not going to forget how to make movies how bad would it be if that industry started over again freshly without all the entrenched power and elites and i don't know it seemed like such a bad thing. I remember we had this discussion many years ago when, we, when, when the government was bailing out the car companies. There were people who said, I'm not against cars, but maybe, maybe companies that do a lousy job need to go under so that better things can replace it. Seems like a good argument. Um, there's a uh, new movie, uh, I think it's coming out next weekend, called Oppenheimer. And the title refers to Robert Oppenheimer, who was the director of Los Alamos uh, during the time of the Manhattan Project and the development of the first atomic bomb. And um, there is a, a story going around about, and, and this is this is something that if you read any of the books about Los Alamos, you would know this, but I guess people are going to find out that there was a lot of debate among the atomic scientists of 1945 
about whether or not to finish the job. When they got to the point where they realized there was going to be an atomic bomb, some of them were horrified. Some of them said, we shouldn't do this. We mustn't do this. Others said, well, if we do it, we need to force the government to share the technology so there isn't, there isn't one country with the power to destroy the world. And then there were still others who said, well, we, our job here is to end the war, and they sent us here, and they spent all this money, and they created this whole thing to end the war. So there was apparently quite a bit of debate um, amongst the scientists involved in the Manhattan Project. They were not only uh, from all around the world, but they came from a lot of different political persuasions and backgrounds and so forth. It's going to be interesting, this movie, when it comes out, and and if a lot of people see it. I, I, I think we might see a reactivation of this debate that we always have around the anniversary of the A-bomb droppings, which is coming up in a few weeks anyway. This movie might spur more of that. You've heard it on our show before, and it may happen. Anyway, back here tomorrow live at 4, or look for our podcast at KTSA.com.